Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. I'm Alan Thomas, and today I have with me John Hornick of Finnegan. Dot com. How are you doing, John? I'm fine. How are you today? Uh, doing pretty good. Pretty good. So uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, what is Finnegan? What do you guys do? Well, Finnegan is one of the largest intellectual property law firms in the world. Uh, and intellectual property, you know, is patents and trademarks and copyrights and trade secrets. And um, I was a partner there for 25 years. I'm now senior counsel. We have offices all over the world. And what we do basically is we help companies to protect their intellectual property. And over the last several years, I've been focusing on the 3D printing industry. And I uh, formalized our practice in that area, started our 3D printing working group. And uh, what that group does is is um, helps companies who are in the 3D printing space protect and enforce and monetize their IP. Uh, and, and so what attracted you in particular to the 3D printing space, to that particular area? Well, several years ago, a friend of mine sent me a uh, a video of a machine printing out a wrench. And I thought, well, this is probably a joke, but if it's real, <laughs> it's important technology. And I sent that video to several friends, and I said the same thing I just said to you. This is probably a joke, but if it's real, it's important. And one of them wrote back, he was the uh, chief architect at Johns Hopkins University Hospital, and he said, uh, 
this isn't a joke. We have doctors here who are trying to do this with human organs, and it's going to be a few years, but uh, it's real. So at that point, I thought, well, uh, I wonder if my firm has done any work in this area. And it turned out that we had. I hadn't myself, but um, the firm had. So I, I, I pulled our practice together into a, a more formalized practice and uh, put together what I call the 3D printing working group. And then my interest in the in this field went way beyond the law, and uh, I started a database to keep track of what was happening in the industry. And after not too long, I realized I had enough to write a book. So I wrote a book called 3D Printing Will Rock the World, and uh, that's done very well. It's won a, won a couple of awards, and um, uh, that's really taken me down to completely different uh, avenues, uh, not just doing IP, but also dealing with companies who looking for strategic advice in the 3D printing area. And so now you're you're kind of become a sort of a go-to consultant in this area, in the, kind of the, in 3D printing field. Yeah, I wouldn't say a consultant across all areas. There, you know, my my areas of consultation really um tend to be somehow related to intellectual property uh or also to law enforcement. That's another area where I've been doing 3D printing consulting. Now, in, in terms of law enforcement, what uh, exactly what applications would there be in law enforcement? Well, in uh, 2013, uh, there was a lot of news about um, some people who were 3D printing uh, guns out of plastic. And um, there, initially in 2013, there was there was a lot of hype about that. Uh, and the gun that was 3D printed at that time was fairly primitive. But since that time, there has been um, a lot of work by a lot of mostly anonymous people who are um, developing the 3D printing of weapons. And also, 3D printing has been used by law enforcement to uh, help to solve crimes. So um, I have put together a series of courses for a, um, an online platform called Law Enforcement Learning to lawenforcementlearning.com. You have to have a badge to take a course on that platform. You know, you have to be in law enforcement. And so I've developed some courses for that platform to teach law enforcement people about the risks and the benefits of 3D printing. So I have a course on 3D printed weapons, and that's not just uh, uh, guns, but it's also um, things like uh, lower receiver for AR-15s, it's bump fire stocks, it's um, uh, bullets, and uh, then I put together another course uh, called 3D Printing 101 for law enforcement. And I'm putting together a course now on uh, 3D printing as an aid to law enforcement. Uh, in, order, in order to help them solve cases or become more effective at their, at their work, right? Exactly. And, and so, the, um, I, I, so I guess the ultimate goal or, or mission of, the, of, your, of your practice area, I, I know you said you, you kind of um, you focus on IP in particular. But what, what would you say is the ultimate goal or, or focus of your of your practice area? I mean, beyond from, beyond where it is right now. Well, you know, like I said, I I was a, a partner in Finnegan for 25 years, and, at, and you know, during that time, I was really um, practicing law. I was helping clients with their IP portfolios. I was litigating cases in the IP area. I was uh, helping companies to commercialize their technology. I was writing contracts that were used in uh, all types of IP. Um, over the last uh, five years, though, I've been focusing, I've been doing those same things, but focusing more on, or almost exclusively, I should say, on 3D printing. Uh, but um, starting the beginning of this year, I became a senior counsel to the firm, and 
now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of branching out. I'm, I'm doing some consulting uh, that's not purely IP-related, uh, like, the, like the law enforcement consulting that I mentioned. So uh, I know you've done a lot of, like you said, you've done, you've done a lot of casework. You've, you've been involved in a lot of uh, different situations. What are, what are some of the more difficult, uh, I guess, cases that you've come across in working in this area? Or some of the more difficult problems you've had to solve, I guess? Well, a topic that I have written a lot about and that I've spoken a lot about is a concept that I pioneered called away from control. And away from control means the ability to use 3D printing to make something without anyone knowing about it and without anyone being able to control it. And that's basically, I think, the the concept that um, uh, the guy who 3D printed the first gun, uh, I think that's the concept that he was experimenting with, too. He was He was asking the question, what would what would the consequences be if someone was able to 3D print a gun without anyone knowing about it and without anyone being able to control it? And that's that's what I call away from control. And this is this is something that uh, will become more widespread because uh, 3D printers democratize manufacturing. They make it possible for uh, anyone to manufacture almost anything. And you know the machines are not necessarily ex- inexpensive. I mean, the the the, uh, the top machines in this area cost up to five million dollars. But people who have the resources, uh, whether that's a small or medium-sized business, they can use 3D printing to compete with the big dogs. And um, and and what we'll start to see more of is is what I what I refer to as 3D printing away from control. Now, if if anyone can make anything without anyone knowing about it and without anyone being able to control it, that raises real problems for intellectual property owners because they might have intellectual property rights, they might have patents, they might have uh, uh, trade secrets, they might have copyrights. But if anyone can make what's covered by that IP without anyone knowing about it, without anyone being able to control it, that means that their IP could become essentially valueless, you know, or irrelevant. It would it would exist but it would be impractical or impossible to enforce it. So, you know, that's an issue that, uh, I, th- I think that's the most difficult issue in the 3D printing space. And, and to some extent, I think they're, uh, it's, it's unsolvable, uh, but um, that doesn't mean that companies shouldn't uh, have strong IP portfolios and strong licensing portfolios. And also, uh, you know, you've probably heard of digital rights management. That's a way to lock up um, uh, to lock up technology, and uh, that may have some limited application as well. There may be applications for the blockchain in this area as well. And, and I know you said that 3D, and, and I know this as well, 3D printers aren't necessarily cheap to get, but eventually the cost of them will probably come down to a point where this could become a more widespread problem, right? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, right now there are really two sides to the 3D printing industry. There's a consumer side and there's an industrial side. Someone made an arbitrary cutoff that any machine that costs less than $5,000 is a consumer-grade machine. So consumer-grade machines run from a few hundred dollars up to about $5,000. And they're, you know, they, they, the more you spend within that range, the more powerful they are. But still, they're fairly primitive machines. Uh, the machines that run from $5,000 up to $5 million, they're much more sophisticated. They can make sophisticated parts. They can make parts out of metal. Uh, but what we'll start to see, I think, is some of the innovations in the in the consumer space will start to trickle up to the um, industrial space, and some of the innovations in the industrial space will start to trickle down, and uh, and there'll be less of a distinction between a consumer-grade machine and an industrial-grade machine, 
there will just be different price ranges and uh, prices have prices have been rising over the past few years in the industrial space, but eventually the machines will probably become more commoditized and prices will drop while uh, technological capability increases. So, John, have have there been any has there been any materials or, or I guess any limitations on what can be made with 3D printers? Have we run into any limitations yet in terms of materials that can be used or objects that can be made? Well, there are thousands and thousands of materials that can be printed or, uh, or used in one or one or more different kinds of um, 3D printing technology. But the limitation really has been more uh, parts versus products. Uh, now, you know, there's the, the, probably the poster child for 3D printing has been a, a fuel nozzle that, that GE uses in um, one of their aircraft engines. And that, uh, when, when made by traditional manufacturing, had uh, 18 to 20 parts. And so you could view that as a product because it had a lot of parts. Uh, and But now it's being 3D printed in one part. So that, so that, that product, that part has become a product, basically. But that's really not typical of most products. Most products uh, are made up of a lot of different parts, and only some of them are being 3D printed. And, um, and so there are very few products that are being printed. So, for example, if you were to look at your smartphone, well, no one's printed a smartphone yet. That's made up of a lot of different parts. So, so I think where we're going to start to see advancement and where we've seen kind of limitations up, into the, up to this point is, is we're going to start to see machines that are more capable of making products rather than parts. And one company I know that's that's uh, uh, making some great advancements in this area is a company called Enscript that's located in Florida. Um, they are they have machines that are more directed toward making par- uh, products rather than parts. And um, uh, that's one of the companies that I do some uh, that I do some consulting for. Uh, so, but we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more companies that are um, that are um, focusing on how to make a full product, whether it's a smartphone or whether it's a, uh, you know, a, a, a weather station or whether it's a, um, a set of headphones or, you know, whatever it might be, rather than just the parts that go into those things. But so when, when we talk about products rather products being made rather than parts with the printers, does that mean that, let's say we, we, we get to a point where um, they're afford, like you said, they're affordable enough for maybe the average person or close to it? something like that, and let's say a bunch of different parties start making, let's say the type of the type of stuff that we buy on places like Amazon or eBay now, like like very baby toys or something like that. Does that mean that would that the entire categories of products, the cost could be driven down because the markets would be flooded? Uh, well, it's hard to say whether whether the price of products would be driven down. A lot of things could happen. One is people could start just making them themselves, so there may not be a market for the products anymore. Uh, in other words, if uh, companies say, hey, why should we take on all the overhead of manufacturing products when we can just uh, basically give the uh, digital blueprints to uh, customers and let them make the product themselves? Uh, but you know, w- one area where we need uh, uh, to be able to um, advance is with 3D printed electronics. I mean, a lot of, a lot of products that that, that are out there, they have electronics in them. So if you're going to make the product, you're either going to you're either you're going to have to be able to 3D print the electronics as well. And uh, some people say, well, you 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 print what you can and pick what you print what you can and pick what you can't. And picking means to uh, use a pick and place uh, mechanism to uh, pick, uh, to uh, place 
for example, a chip. So let's say you wanted to 3D print a smartphone. Well, you know, right now you can't 3D print the chips that are in it. Uh, so you'd print what you can and you would pick and place what you can't. Uh, so let's say that um, some company says, well, we would like uh, people to be able to do that in their own homes. So, you know, you'd have machines that are more sophisticated than we have now, uh, but also fairly low in price. And what, what a company might do is they might send you a package and the package might have all the chips that you need in it. And then you have a printer that can print all the rest. So you load the chips into the machine and then you load the material into the machine and then the machine prints you a phone by printing what it can and picking what it can. Uh, so so that, that type of thing, I think we'll start to see that happening. Uh, you know, it'll start off fairly primitively at first, but to think that we won't be doing that eventually, I think is kind of uh, uh, short-sighted because, you know, the future is a really long time and technology, we know how fast that develops. So eventually, and I think probably within, eventually means within about 10 years, uh, we will start to see that type of product being manufactured, if not in the home, then maybe in a, a local uh, shop that does it for you, that customizes it for you. But you know, in, in not too much time, I think we'll see uh, those things being done both in the home and in local businesses. So in that example, I could customize my phone pretty much any way I wanted, and then XYZ phone company would send me, like you said, the, the parts that I would need that my printer couldn't, couldn't pick up or wouldn't be able to duplicate. And I would basically end up assembling it like a model kit almost. Right. And, you know, the the first phones that are able to do that are going to be more like flip phones. They're not going to be as sophisticated as a smartphone. Um, But, you know, technology marches on and eventually um, we'll probably be able to 3D print almost anything, either by printing what you can't, printing what you can and picking what you can't, or um, eventually we may be able to print everything. And see, I, I was okay with flip phones. I just let it go because it went out of style. <laughs> so uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that. Looking, that I hear the flip right? phone is coming back. I hear it's coming back. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I would love that to to put together my own. Sure. <laughs> nice and personalized. <laughs> but, well, um, that's the beauty of 3D printing is customization. And, you know, right now everyone thinks in terms of mass production. So, you know, I'm often asked, is 3D printing ever going to be suitable for mass production? And I say, well, you may be asking the wrong question because if we move toward a world where we personalize all of our products, customize all of our products, then there will be less of a need for mass production, more of a need for mass customization. And if you're doing mass customization, then you don't have to worry, you don't have to have the speed and the scale of mass production. And that was going to be my next question. That was a, that was a great segue into that about just in terms of speed to be able to I mean, it, it would be great to be able to do these things, but what are we looking at in terms of speed? Are we talking about hours or days or or maybe even weeks, for depending on what the product is or how complex it is? Does that dictate the speed? Yeah, well, there's there are a lot of advancements being made in that area. You know, one of the complaints about 3D printing has been that it's it's fairly slow, and um, you know, there's there's different types of technology you. You've probably seen um, the machines that can print out Yoda heads. Those are those are the least um, expensive machines. They're material extrusion machines, and they you know you can get one of those for a few hundred dollars, um, and they're fairly slow. Um, but uh, HP, for example, has entered into the 3D printing space, and they came out with a machine that they call multi-jet fusion or or jet fusion, and uh, it's much faster. It's uh, orders of magnitude faster than material extrusion. And so 
uh, you know, they're making advancements in that area. There's another process called high-speed sensoring uh, that's supposed to rival the speed of injection molding. Uh, 3D, 3D Systems has a, has a machine that they say rivals the, machi- the speed of injection molding. So um, when we get to that point, when machines are fast, as fast as injection molding, and maybe we're there or we're close to being there, uh, then it will be practical to um, have customization um, in, at, a, at a speed that people are comfortable with. I mean, right now, you know, people are, are used to ordering things uh, online and getting them within, uh, you know, within two days. Uh, so people are, have kind of come to expect that they can get almost anything they want within a couple of days. So if you're doing customized 3D printing and somebody says to you, well, it's going to take a week, or even if they say it's going to take four days, you might say, well, that's too, that's too long. <laughs> so I think once we can get it down to where you can get pretty much anything you want within a two-day period of time, people will probably be happy with that. And, you know, if you're, going to, if you're talking about going into retail stores, you know, that some people think they're dying. But even if they're not dying, people still want that to be relatively fast. Will it ever be fast enough that you can walk into the store and um, order something right there and have it made customized while you wait. Uh, that's I, I I think that that's going to be a while before it can be that fast. It, could it be um, you know Could it be that you come back the next day? I think that's possible. Will it be that you can that it will never be within a couple hours? Well, no. Again, the future is a long time, so I think eventually it'll be fast enough that you can get it within a couple of hours. By that time, people might not be going into stores anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you're right about that. Uh, and, and maybe a side effect of uh, the, the onset of 3D printing will be in that example that you were using where we go into the store and we have to maybe wait four or five days when we place the order. Maybe that'll, maybe a side effect of that will be with, that our patience as consumers increases again instead of, you know, so now that we've gotten down to this, oh, I need an hour or I need a day and a half. Well, and you're right about that. It's possible that as we move toward a, a more of a customization culture, uh, our expectations may change. Right now, we do expect to get anything that's mass-produced very, very quickly. But if we were able to get exactly what we want, but it's going to take a day or two, uh, you're right. People may adjust to that. It's all about all about desire. You know, like you said, if it's perfectly customized, then I think... It, and if anything, it would, like I say, it would force people to kind of, it would force people into that box. They'd have no choice. You know, technology well, it's about expectations. So much. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's about expectations too. I mean, if people uh, are educated that, you know, that they can have a product that's customized to their wants, uh, but uh, they may have to wait a little bit of time for it, uh, they may adjust to that if you adjust their expectations. And so definitely, and, and so with the with this technology, you can definitely do a lot. But at this point, and you've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but at this point, have there been any ideas or concepts people have kind of brought across your desk where where you would just automatically say, well, that would be umpteen years away. You just wouldn't be able to do that within the next two years or three years. Any developments like that? that Well, there's a difference between, there's a big spread between umpteen and two or three. And and what I say in most cases is that uh, I think we'll see the ability to to make almost anything within about 10 years time, you know, that um, uh, Bill Gates said that we overestimate the things we can do in two years and we underestimate the things we can do in 10. Technology is moving very quickly. And I have heard uh, people say, for example, you know, there's a, there's a side area of 3d printing called bioprinting. And, and there are people who are working on 3d printing human organs, which I mentioned at the very beginning of this uh, interview. 
Uh, and I've heard people say, well, it's, it's you know, we're not going to have a, um, a 3D printed or bioprinted human heart for probably 20 or 30 years. And then and there's a company in California that announced that they did a miniaturized version about uh, two years ago. So, <laughs> um, I, so, I, so I think that uh, we will see all of these things much quicker than um, you think. Wow. I can't believe somebody. I mean, it didn't surprise me that somebody was already working on it, but the fact that they've already done a version of it, even a miniaturized version, I mean, already, like, yeah, that definitely blows expectations out of the water. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, it's you know, I think it was fairly primitive, but the point is that it's it's a start, and it's there's a difference between saying it's going to be a few years before we do it, and it's going to on the one hand, on the other hand, saying it's going to be a few years before we perfect it. Two totally different things, and you know, if we have if we have it, we have an example of something that's already been done, and it was primitive, but now it's a matter of improving on it rather than doing it in the first place. And so, you know, once you've actually gotten something, uh, you've gotten a start, then uh, improvements come along pretty fast. Oh, exactly. Once you have that base, you just keep refining, right? Just like anything else. Exactly. Right. Right. And so, what what big takeaway or final thoughts would you do you have for our listeners? Uh, from the information that you've given us today, what would you like them to kind of take away from the interview? Well, one thing is that uh, 3D printing is alive and well. Uh, back in uh, the uh, 2013 and 14, there was a lot of hype about it. And uh, a lot of people um, were following it and they were very interested in it. And then, you know, like everything else, it kind of falls out of the news and the news media moves on to something else. Uh so some people are tempted to think that 3D printing is going away, it's not successful, uh, and most people tend to think of 3D printing as those machines that make the Yoda heads too. They don't really know anything about the industrial side. So, so what I would say to people is, uh, you know, keep your eye out for it and uh, don't be surprised when you see things come along. Uh, and, um, and 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 3D printing is is alive and well and it's growing at a uh, pretty hefty, pretty healthy compound annual growth rate. Wow. Well, I, 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 that's that's just amazing stuff. And John, what's the best way for our listeners if they want to find out more, if they want to engage with you about the subject, what's, where do they need to go? Well, they could read my book, 3D Printing Will Rock the World. Uh, That goes into great detail about a lot of things that I've talked about today. The easiest way to get it is on Amazon or on Barnes and Noble's website. Uh, I can be contacted at uh, John Hornick, john.hornick at finnegan.com. And, um, uh, you know, I'm out there speaking and writing quite often, so uh, people may run across uh, one of my presentations or um, or one of my papers. I have several uh, videos on YouTube as well, if you search my name, and 3D printing. Okay, well, again, I want to thank you, John, for coming on to the podcast and giving us all this great information. And just, you know, we, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your expertise. Well, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s. 
and the dot-com boom in the 1990s, and the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first. In their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.